wondering about the cryptocurrency and like how it originated. I remember you mentioned, Branson mentioned um, kind of, I guess, where it came from. But I mean, how does it get created? And I guess I don't understand any of that. So, or if there's some place you could point me to that I can look it up. Well, I'm sure you could just do a search engine uh, query and find what you're looking for. I mean, I'll give you the the gist. Um, so it's <laughs> this again. I, I I don't know if I can put this in terms that anyone will understand. <laughs> so to me, it makes perfect sense. But I'm going to have to use terms and technologies and things like that that you're are going to fly over your head most likely. Um, so it's based in a technology called the blockchain. Okay. And what's unique about this system is that that is the decentralized nature of the ledger and the creating of the blocks that hold the transactions is a process they call mining. And this facilitates the transactions to occur, but it's also a distrib it distributes the ledger over all computers connected to the network. Okay, so that's the gist of a blockchain is that you're distributing the database so that there is no Bitcoin server anywhere. Everyone is hosting the blockchain. Okay. And so by doing that, it can never be taken out. It can never be taken down. It can never be attacked because it's running on hundreds of thousands of computers simultaneously. So, and then the, the, when you open up a new block to, that's going to store a new transactions that pays out, um, a, a, a trend, a trend, uh, a mining reward. Okay. So there's actually incentive in doing the mathematical equations necessary to create new blocks. Okay, so new blocks get created, new blocks get created, and you need these blocks because that's where the transactions get stored. And the blocks get uh, downloaded on everyone's computer. So again, so it can never be attacked, it can never be taken down. Um, and the, the nature of, like if we're talking about Bitcoin, because they don't all necessarily operate the same way. I mean, they all work on that, on that principle of a blockchain. Okay, but some of them, operate differently with regards to limits on the number of, of, of uh, coins or tokens that can be mined over time. Bitcoin has a limit, right? And so it, at a certain point, there will only ever be so many Bitcoins in existence. Once all those Bitcoins have been quote unquote mined and there's 21 million, I believe it is in circulation, well then the blocks will continue to be created by the transaction fees that are built into the blockchain itself, which are minuscule when you consider the transaction fees you pay on a debit card or a credit card. Um, but because of the vast number of transactions going through the blockchain, there will still be an incentive to keep mining, to keep creating new blocks and everything because all the transaction fees will pay for the next block, will pay for the next block, will pay for the next block. And again, by, by putting your 
computing power on this network to help facilitate the creation of these new blocks, you get a portion of the reward if you happen to be a part of the discovery of the next block. But by doing that, by putting your processing power on the line for, for this network, you're, you're also facilitating the transactions themselves so that transactions happen faster, so that the, the capacity of the network to function effectively is, is essentially up to the people in the network itself. So it's not limited to uh, a, a, an entity or a server or even a farm of servers it is distributed. So I, again, I know I probably use words and phrases and terms that many people are unfamiliar with. That's, that's the simplest I could put it. Is there anything that, uh, that you feel you can even ask with regards to how I've explained it that you need more clarity on? I would make the statement that what you explained as Bitcoin or as yeah Bitcoin is really a true representation of functioning within the Republic where it's about the individual being part of the collective through their own individual sovereignty. It's almost the absolute example of what the pinnacle of a Republic can represent. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And, and Brandon, I would love to bounce my, my, I guess my explanation of Bitcoin for dummies type of explanation. Oh, Steven, let me please do. You're the, you're the okay. perfect person for that, Gingy. <laughs> um, the way that I've always explained it is that it's in a central bank, you make all your transaction and the bank keeps tracks of all the transactions in, in a single place in a single ledger. And with Bitcoin, since it's, everybody that's participating in the network, uh, well, I guess most everybody, then the record of all the transactions and all of the balances are kept on everyone's computers. So when you make a transaction, your computer checks and verifies the account and how much is going where and the total balances when it's all done with as many other computers. And there's a certain number to them, say it's 50, 50 other computers Along the way, and as soon as that all those checks are done, transaction is complete. So it's really the big difference is that in a decentralized cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, the record of all the history of transactions is kept on multiple, if not all, computers that are involved in the network, whereas our current systems are kept in a single system within a single bank uh, infrastructure. There's a lot more to it than that, obviously, but that's the basic gist. Okay, I think I kind of get. I think I get that because I'm. While you're talking, I'm trying to picture it in my head, about you know, like with all the different computers, and it's like, in a way, every. Um, well, I don't know if that's a good way to put it, but anyway, in a way, it's almost like everybody knows what everybody. Uh, has in a, in a sense or well yes, anyway there's, it's all there, there's no names on the network meaning it's all right. just keys right it's it's like account yeah. numbers all you see is a bunch of account numbers nobody knows what accounts belong to who so let me break down some of the yeah. elements of it that would that would be uh 
significant for you as an individual. So you have a client, right? And this client has your wallet in it. it imagine it like an app that you do all your banking from. You can, you can get your account number. You can see it in the, in the app and you can send it to someone and say, here, pay me to that address. It's and like they Venmo. send Bitcoins to that, that uh, Bitcoin address, you get it in your wallet. Your wallet is basically your personal account, right? Mm -hmm. And if somebody wants to be paid, they can send you their account number and you could, and you could go into your client, your app, right? And you could say, okay, send this many Bitcoins to this key, right? This account number and off it goes. So it's, it's just like banking with an app. That's the, I mean, that's the, the simplistic way of looking at it. And then I've explained to you the underlying infrastructure that supports that, that, that structure, that, those exchanges, right? I've explained the blockchain in basic terms. And, and so you get an idea of like, basically, it's just like having an app that you can st store money in, right? Except the crazy thing is like when you have a Wells Fargo app, the money is not actually in the app, <laughs> right? You, it's, it's not really there. But in Bitcoin, the money is in the app. <laughs> it's, it's there. It's there on your computer. It's there on your phone. It's wherever you keep that wallet file, that's where the money really is. It's not just numbers printed on a screen like your Wells Fargo account. There's no money that actually backs those numbers. They're just numbers on a screen. And when you open up your Wells Fargo app, it's just showing you the numbers that they have on their server that say this is the balance in your account. Whereas the wallet file itself is your money. It is in that wallet file. Okay. And you could never fake the system and say, you know, just so everybody knows, I actually have 5 million Bitcoin because as soon as you do that and then you try to send that Bitcoin to somebody, the very first other computer that it tries to verify the funds with will say, um, I have a different account balance for that address. And it'll check another computer and go, actually, yeah, that's not correct. I'm, I'm with guy number two. And I want to check enough of them and recognizes that you don't have the funds there. The transaction will stop and will say, insufficient funds and that's because all the other computers that need to double check your account balance have their own version of the record of, of all the transactions and all the balances so that's why i said earlier on the call that you could literally look up and see how many bitcoin are at what um, accounts so you can see all the accounts in existence and how many bitcoins are in each account but again you have no idea whose account or what accounts are owned by who. So you can see if maybe one, one wallet has five Bitcoin or a million Bitcoin, we don't know. You can go look mm -hmm. at it because it's all open source. And so if you were to say, I actually have the million dollar wallet or the million Bitcoin wallet, all the other wallets in existence would, would say, no, you don't. <laughs> so in order to cheat the system, you would literally have to change. And this is hypothetical. There's actual science behind this, but you would have to change uh, virtually everybody else's wallet or at least enough of the wallets across all the people, the users' computers 
in order to gain the majority vote to say all of you are wrong and we're right. And so in order to do that, you'd have to hack into every single person's computer, at least more than half of them on the, on the network to be able to do that. And that's virtually impossible at this point with so many people using Bitcoin. It, I mean, you'd have to have more computing power than NASA <laughs> to hack all of those computers. <laughs> okay, so that's how you keep your checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Consensus. Is, is all those all those accounts and or computers and accounts are keeping track of everything. Exactly. And so right, when there's a transaction that happens, you hit complete and then it goes through the network and updates everybody's ledgers. Once enough right. of the system has said, Oh yeah, that's that's a good transaction, then it updates everybody else's. So it doesn't have to go through every computer, just enough to verify that it's a legitimate transaction. Right. And that's the blockchain right. is that database is that ledger that everyone has a copy of. And that's why they're able to process and validate the transactions. And, and like, like Jinji said, you'd literally have to hack over 50% of the computers on the network, which at this point is probably hundreds of thousands of computers. And you'd have to overwrite the database files with, false information which that would be a feat in itself because you'd have to you'd have to create false records all over the blockchain it's not like you can go into you know one block and change one entry and boom it, everything is going to go through um so it's it, it, and it's you'd, and you'd have to do it fast enough before the, up, the records got updated by the next transaction <laughs> it, well you right, you'd have to do it simultaneously Right. Like so some, all simultaneously. So something like these entities that are storing everybody's information couldn't like kind of get their all hacking set up to where they can just do it with everybody at the same time and nope. try to overturn things. No, it's, it's not. With, and <laughs> even if they could, everybody would well. Even if they yeah. could do that, everybody that uses Bitcoin or at least the tech savvy ones would be able mm-hmm. to see it because it's open source and they'd be able to know, hey, look, these guys are trying to hack the system because it's all open source code. Anybody can go look at it anytime they want to in real time. Okay. So this is where, okay, so with all this, uh, I don't know if you want to call it conspiracy stuff, with with how like the central banks then want want to basically control people by because I had heard that I think the banks were creating wallets for for this stuff so that right. then that way they were saying like if they didn't like something they just shut your account down right we we to, would call those a platform and they have uh, an online um, wallet okay so you can you could operate with their online wallet and store all your Bitcoin there, but you're leaving it to them. You know, <laughs> like at any moment right. that wallet could be, could disappear. Uh, funds can be transferred out of it because you don't have the wallet itself. Um, so you, when you're dependent on these platforms and actually the guy who spoke earlier about actually being blocked from, he's just trying to buy some on a platform 
And right. I, evidently what probably happened was he tried to send the funds out of the platform to, cause he was talking about trying to send them to another platform before there was full validation of his balance. And by doing that, it set off a red flag with the platform. Okay. Now the, the Bitcoin network itself, it would just, it wouldn't let the transaction go through until his balance was validated. Once his balance was validated, then it would validate the transaction out. So it's not, it's not inherent in Bitcoin to, to, uh, to interfere with people's intentions and transactions that's on these platforms that are doing that. And because yeah. they've created all these regulations and rules around it, they're, they're, they're trying to control people's access to it. And here's, mm -hmm. here's the, the really interesting thing about what's happening with Bitcoin is that it itself cannot be controlled or manipulated like we were talking about earlier. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to do. So where, where can you, as, as somebody who would seek to control Bitcoin and its users, how do you get control over an uncontrollable system? You control the access points. So think about it like PayPal. Mm. PayPal jumped in as a middleman and said, you can store your money on my, on my servers and we can send transactions for you and you can receive transactions. And then, you know, we're going to take a small little fee. So what you have is all of these websites setting up a Bitcoin wallet and saying, give us your dollars and we'll put some Bitcoin into a wallet on our website for you. Then all you have to do is download our app or access us on the website and you can send and receive your Bitcoin there and you can turn your Bitcoin back into dollars and we'll give you your dollars back. And then government started regulating those organizations so the only regulation that's on cryptocurrency right now is literally on these platforms that are basically custodians for the Bitcoin for the, the people that are using their platform. So I go there, I give money to this platform. They say, okay, your dollars just turned into Bitcoin. Here's your balance on the website. And then if I want to send that Bitcoin somewhere, then I can type it in and they'll send it for me. But they're literally the middleman between me and the Bitcoin blockchain. And so if I decide to buy Bitcoin one day when it's at 20,000, and then I sell the next day when it's at 50,000 or say 40,000, now that company is obligated to report to the US government or at least the IRS that I made, you know, I doubled my money in my investment in Bitcoin. And because I was required to do all the KYC, the, the know your customer uh, protocols, they have my social and my ID and all this other stuff. And they report to the IRS that I made capital gains and they send me you know, whatever to tax me on my capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. That all happens because this US organization, this, this, uh, this corporation put themselves in between me and the Bitcoin blockchain. Now, now again, realize how and why. It's because Again, I, I want to slap you for talking about it like a security. If I buy it at one price and sell it at another price, um, it's not a security. It's a currency. And they're controlling it because you want to get some with dollars, Federal Reserve notes, or you want to exchange your Bitcoins for Federal Reserve notes. 
and they control the Federal Reserve notes. They control all the systems that use Federal Reserve notes. So exactly. there, again, there is no inherent barrier in using Bitcoin. It's when you want to use U.S. dollars to obtain Bitcoin or you want to sell your Bitcoin for U.S. dollars. That's they control that. They control U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. Right. They control all the Federal Reserve notes so they can control all the systems that deal in Federal Reserve notes for Bitcoin. So that's that's where the barrier is. There is again, there is no inherent barrier in the Bitcoin system itself. Like I said, you could start taking Bitcoin payments tomorrow and boom, your wallet is going to increase in value because you're now obtaining Bitcoin. Right. So you now have funds, you now have Bitcoin. It's when you want to turn those Bitcoins into dollars or turn dollars into Bitcoins that the kings of dollars can control your access to it. Right. That's why I was speaking specifically into how do you control an uncontrollable um, technology or something uncontrollable um, like that. You control those access points. And what do they have control over, like Brandon said? The dollars. So they put it on there and they, they can then tax it and regulate it as if it was their own. And people think that they're taxing and controlling Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But like Brandon said, all they're doing is taxing and controlling the interaction with that cryptocurrency and their dollars. Right. Yeah, I, I understand that. Like when you take, yeah, it, it'd be like. Um, doing a, maybe a foreign exchange, I guess, like from U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars. And then when it goes back to U.S. dollars, they're going to uh, tax you on it. Yeah, it's like gold. Because it's the U.S. dollar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like gold, silver. It's like a house. It's like if you were to get right. aid in tortillas, they wouldn't be able to tax you on your gains until you turned it back into dollars or if you use dollars to buy them in the first place. Like yeah. tr have, try to ask the IRS how to file your taxes when you got paid in Bitcoin and then you, you sold your Bitcoin into dollars. They, they don't have a capital gains reference point. They'd have to say, okay, well, what moment were you paid and what was the dollar valuation in that moment? And then when you sold it, what was the valuation of Bitcoin at that point? So they have to basically scramble and extrapolate what potentially the capital gains would have been in this scenario. But if you leave it all in Bitcoin and you never touch the dollars, they have absolutely zero control over cryptocurrency. Well, that's not entirely true. Like, they kind of changed, they changed it a little bit. So, like there was um, a in Alaska who was accepting salmon as payment and the IRS had no problem taxing him on that. Right. <laughs> and and that's what it is. That's exactly value. what it is. So they'll, the is they'll look at it as um, if you use huh. your Bitcoin to purchase anything, whatever the value of the purchase was, you owe tax on the Bitcoin that was used. And if you can't, and it's not the IRS struggling to define when you got it and when you when it left you and what the difference is, it's you have to keep those records 
in order yeah, it's to a, it's a determine if you're paying the short-term or long-term capital gains tax. So um, they put it back on you to find out all that information. So like you can go out and just purchase, like I purchased a brand new computer for with Bitcoin. I also purchased ounces of gold with Bitcoin, but that's hey, all. Hey, Greg. Greg, how much is that computer worth now in Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, I got it. Um, it was what? I got it at 58,000 when Bitcoin was at 58. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got a $100,000 computer? Wow. No, I only used four, 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 oh, four and a half percent. I think, four I think and a half percent of the Bitcoin. I think that's 5,800. <laughs> no, no. That was last week or something when it was at 50,000, 58,000. So it's at 50 uh, now. Okay, how, can I ask a question? How are they? But, I mean, it's stupid not to like cash out a little bit along the way and get something. Like, you gotta get something. <laughs> gotta spend it. How are they taxing salmon? Because, because they just take the fair market value. It's fair market value, yeah. The same way they're taxing Bitcoin. So well, the fair like market value of Bitcoin? Go ahead, Ginger. When When you're bartering... That's like bartering, and there's they got they got their hands in that. I remember there was there was somebody that was um, networking that with people like if you're a hairdresser and a mechanic and you need their service and that kind of thing, um, you could barter that. But there was still a tax involved in that. Even yep, don't think the IRS hasn't thunk about that. Yeah, right. How is that possible? Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> because, well, it, it, because it's that that's how their system works. It's about that. Now, again, we, we could talk about the intricacies and the nature of that system, which is a whole other conversation. But let's take them for their word and let's take it at face value of what it is and what they do. Okay, and let's take on the presumption that that you know what income is or that income is what is commonly thought of as income, right? So let's 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 take all those presuppositions into account. And what you can derive from that is that it doesn't mean that you have to receive Federal Reserve notes to be liable for a tax. If you receive something. And it can be determined to be quote unquote income, whether it's salmon, whether it's a haircut, whether it's a shoe shine, it doesn't matter. It's got a fair market value. And if that shoe shine or that salmon is quote unquote income, then there is a liability which is based on the fair market value of that haircut, that shoe shine, or that salmon. Um, just, just coming at it from this. I thought in the Bible um, Caesar can only tax what is Caesar's. Well, you're not living in the Bible. You're living in the United States of America where we have the Internal Revenue Service. And trust me, they won't take payment <laughs> in salmon. They want Federal Reserve notes. Hey. Yeah. 
Hey, Brazen, I'm sorry. I have a question. Well, not so much of a question. Doesn't this play into that Nasara and Jasara, even with the Bitcoin? Not only that, just to let you guys know, I work for them folk, and um, they that's getting ready to be ended soon, very soon, under 45's calling with this Nasara and Jasara. So when Tiger Woods was falling off the cliff, the Federal Reserve was being destroyed. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of how I see it. Um, now with Nisara and Jasara, I don't see those as, I mean, yeah, that may be a, we'll call it an incremental step to where we should be going. Um, but just pinning the notes back to silver and gold is no remedy because somebody's still going to control the production of those notes, which means they're going to control the gold and silver supplies. It's, it's really not a solution. The only solution that I see as viable is a decentralized currency like Bitcoin. Um, Nasser and Jasser are basically just going to take the dollar back to what it was, which again has been controlled and manipulated since 1791 um, when it was pinned to silver then, right? They want to bring the dollar back to what being 16 grains of silver probably. That's what it originally was. Right, and that's when that system comes into play with that, where it's going to be a fair marketing system for the for money for what it is, the the silver and the gold. You know, it seems like they're going to get back to just that, the silver and the gold. Yeah, but I, what I'm saying is that's not a remedy. That's that's not viable. Like that'll just that'll invite the same corruption we've always had because it you it was based in gold and silver for hundreds of years. It, it just it, be a restart. It, it didn't, restart. yeah. From yeah, like yeah, well, when, it, they, when they stole all the gold and silver back in 1930s when they came and took it all. And yeah, put us my, on the system we're using now. In my but, opinion, this Nessara Jessara thing is just, is like, that's their reset. Am I like, is my thinking right on that? Because they're still going to control the currency. There's still going to be currency. It's not like we're all going to start dealing in gold bars and silver bars. There's still going to be a currency, which they will control. They're just going to tag it and, and to a certain quantity of silver or gold. Now, again, the dollar, most people don't know this, dollar is a unit of measurement. It's a measurement of 16 grains of silver. That's where our word for money comes from, 16 grains of silver. But again, you had the banks, we had a central banking system in control of our currency since 1791. Since our country was two years old, we've had these asset-backed currencies, which didn't put us in any better shape. It still allowed outsiders and the powerful, the banking elite, to control and manipulate every aspect of our society. Nasser and Jasera would just invite that to be the reality again. It's not, it's, to me, it's not a remedy. Unless you have a decentralized system where nobody can control the issuance of the, of the currency, that's the only real remedy I see for us to at least elevate ourselves out of what we, where we've gotten ourselves, at, which is the, the control by the banking elite of our society and really the societies all around the world. 
So that I don't see that. Now, now again, would it be better for the value of your dollar? Absolutely. The value of your dollar would, because it's pinned to a, a, a dedicated amount of silver, that would, that would improve the valuation of the currency. So you wouldn't deflate in value as quickly as a fiat currency does. But again, somebody is still controlling the issuance of the, of the currency. That's where the problem lies. Yeah, it would be more of an, an illusion of a remedy. Absolutely. I, I got a pragma- I got a question about Bitcoin. If you guys are open to going back there, yeah. I, I, well, I feel like this is the same conversation, uh, whether it's Nasera, Jacera, or Bitcoin. We're talking about the future of our monetary systems. So my my question is, as a contractor dealing with large amounts of Federal Reserve notes, typically, how do I transition into start to accepting bitcoins? In a pragmatic way, create a wallet. Get which your, I, okay, okay. Get get an address out of there, right? You can you know how you cre- you create as many accounts as you want, right? In your wallet, create one, and start to give it to people, whether on a QR code or whatever, and say, "Here, this is where I'll take my payment." And, and the problem, I think, your problem doesn't lie in receiving it; it it lies in getting the other people to pay you in it like they would have to obtain it so unless you're dealing with someone who already has it or understands how well, to get not necessarily they could, just, they could just get a cash app get the cash app it connects to their bank account and boom they could get bitcoins and send them to you yes they could although there's new laws around that too anything over three thousand dollars offline wallets from any cloud-hosted platform, they want to get the identity of the receiver or the person who puts it up in the cloud. So how do you get around downloading the blockchain? Now, I know you download Bitcoin Core, you set it up, but I, with my old-ass computer, kept crashing my computer every time I try to download the blockchain. Is there been any advancements in getting around that, or was I just stupid yeah, doing that 10 years ago? You don't have to download the whole blockchain anymore. There's a check mark in the configuration of the wallet. I think it does like the last three months or something, or it could be longer. But Oh, so you can just download the most recent aspects of the blockchain, not the whole thing. Right, unless oh, you thank want. Thank God. Unless you have a bunch of transactions from like all the way in the beginning that you needed verified. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So somebody just getting into it can get going pretty quick and not have to download, you know, gigs upon gigs of history. Do you think people would be appeal or would it be appealing if you offered, you know, 50% of your bill being paid in Bitcoin versus, you know, 100% 100% Federal Reserve notes. I mean, people are just happy to have anything to buy with their Bitcoin, right? Especially if it's something real. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I would say you could actually make it appeal to them. 
where it's like, look, if you want to pay me in dollars, it's going to cost you this much. But if you pay me in Bitcoin, it's only going to cost you this much. And, and how, do, how do I deal? Like, I understand the concept where you're saying it's um, the currency. How, how are people dealing with the, the, the fluctuation at this point? What do you, you know? I'll, I'll do a well. For example, I'm I'm going to do a project for a, a client. I'm going to give them a contract. The contract's going to be broken down into the various payments that they're going to have to make. But Bitcoin changes its price, right? Uh, it you, doubles you the price just, in, you, in a matter of what three weeks. To. You give them what they're used to. At the time of payment, this many dollars in Bitcoin. Don't give them a number of bitcoins. Say this many dollars in Bitcoin. Okay. So no matter what day they pay, they're not going to be worried about what's the what's the exchange rate, what's this, what's that. Just give it, just give them the amount in dollars. And Ryan, it's actually pretty damn simple to with you. Like I do have the Cash App downloaded too. Something I was like paying rent with five years ago, and. Go on there. I just say buy a hundred dollars. It says, "Oh, it's going to be a two dollars fee." I'm like, "Okay." So the total goes up to one hundred and two dollars, and then I click send Bitcoin and ask me to scan a QR code or put in the wallet address. I put it in there, hit send, and it's gone. Now the only stipulation is you have to do the whole like, con- um, what is it like, uh, confirm your identity thing or whatever, know your customer stuff. So you have to have an ID, picture of your driver's license or passport or something like that, and, and all that other stupid information in order for you to be able to spend, send Bitcoin off the platform. Now, with no ID, you can buy Bitcoin in dollars and sell Bitcoin in dollars all day long, up to like $5,000 a day or something. You just can't send it off their platform without first identifying your uh, you know, person, if you will. And this this is even with a ledger. I mean, if you have a ledger, who knows what you're getting or you know what you're buying? Well, the ledger, the wallet ledger. Yeah, you know your USB ledger, or I don't know what you call it anyway. Yeah, I just call it's it a ledger. A, it's called a hardware wallet. Yeah, and uh, that's the same as any other wallet that's out there. The only difference is yours is offline when you want it to be. Yeah. So, so did that, you just say here's the number? Send it here, and if you were, if I was your client, I would open up Cash App, buy a hundred dollars, send a hundred dollars, and you would have a hundred dollars. It's that simple. And this is what Brazen was talking about: encrypting it and then taking it offline. No, no, no. With the Ledger Wallet, you don't have to take like encrypt anything. It's already done that. It even has protection against key logging and all of that stuff. Those hardware wallets are probably the safest way to store cryptocurrency on the market right now. Besides being someone who's really... Hold up, hold up, I'm not (laughs) done. Besides being someone who's technologically savvy enough to handle all of the protocols themselves, encryption and pulling it offline and knowing how to get it back online and all of that stuff. If you're a brand's in, you're probably smarter than a hardware wallet. I am definitely smarter than a hardware wallet. <laughs> but not a software wallet. There but I'm not. Wallet. <laughs> <laughs> so are people just putting, like, I just put a button on my website saying, hey, we accept, we accept yeah. uh, Bitcoin. 
Yep, exactly. and it would just put the address up there. The, to me, the, I, I would think the quote, second unquote, I, account number. I would think the second I did that, I would have to probably turn people away because so many people would want to buy my product. Well, that's, well, a, that's good a good problem thing. to have. <laughs> and and my my you know based on just my limited understanding is that uh, the Bitcoin at this point is worth about a hundred. Is it worth about one trillion dollars in in that in the in cap? The market cap. Yeah, market cap. I mean, I fully based on just my limited you know calculations, it's going to easily be worth ten times that. And not that I'm looking to speculate. I mean, I'm much more interested in the idea of having a you know sovereign currency. But I mean, are you guys feel the same that it's going to easily tenfold from where it is today? <laughs> easily, easily. And I was being very, like, very conservative with my number. Like, I would say a year to year, day in and day out, Bitcoin consistently gets you know, increases in value and dollars consistently decrease in value. And it's it's going exponential. Well, like, and I, I want to say today's like in current money today without any calculation of inflation. Um, well, yeah, I mean, right now I'm looking at more. it. It says that as of February 20th, it was $1.7 trillion market cap. And since February, the price has gone up 20 grand. So I, and that's 20 grand is probably 50% or so from where it was. I think it was around 40,000 late February. I just want to add, sorry. I just wanted to add that inflation hasn't really kicked in, right? I think we can all sort of agree that obviously as we continue to print money we're not going to feel inflation and according to milton friedman and uh, you know roughly two years later after we're sort of done being drunk um we're going to get inflation kicked in so when i look at inflation and i'm looking at 1913 where, where you know 1911 was zero percent 1913 was two percent and then you got 1915 one 1916, you got 8%, but you got 1916 and 17, it starts getting into the 18% almost there because of the war. Um, and then it goes to 15, uh, roughly, till, till 20. And then I guess we start to get to the negative um, interest rates. But my point being is there there is a pattern that's going to happen for us too, you know. And, and right now, we're, we're sitting at like really crappy, you know, 1% or some, some ridiculous number of 2%. So when it does get to those numbers of uh, 15, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being modest when I say 15% when we do get off this drunken uh, ride. And you, when you look at the debt clock, you can go into the debt clock yourselves, guys and ladies, um, and type in two years from now. If you go to the corner on the right corner, I believe it goes to almost 20 trillion increase in two years we're going to be in. So when we're talking about these numbers, you guys are absolutely correct when it comes to Bitcoin becoming, you know, the future gold, if you may use it, use it for a metaphor. But as far as uh, anybody that is listening, I, I want to propose this idea that I heard, which was that in the future, we're not going to say Bitcoin is Bitcoin. We're going to say Satoshi. So how, many, how much is a dollar per Satoshi? Because technically there's 100 million Satoshi per Bitcoin. And in the future, what if this is going to be true? Where we're not going to really be having 
uh, equatable numbers. Right now, everybody's turned off because of the price point in ratio, right? Like 50,000 to one uh, uh, Bitcoin uh, per dollar. So let's say in the future, if you just think of it as how many Satoshi am I going to be buying? Or if we start looking at it in that sense of how many Satoshis are going to cost to you know buy a car, uh, that'd be really interesting. Right now, a well, one thousand Satoshi is about fifty-one cents. So, in those terms, that's incredibly cheap. And also, keep in mind, as we talked earlier with this technology, at some point there will be no new Bitcoin coming into existence, which means the supply will be absolutely peaked, and demand will continue to grow. Out of out of maybe ten people, I would say, you know. One of them in my day-to-day meetings uh, know what Bitcoin is and have been involved in Bitcoin in the past. And the, you know, say maybe three of them or five of them have heard of it. And the rest of them just have never even known what it is. Like I I was talking with some mortgage lady who was in finances and she's like, Bitcoin, is that one of those like uh, investment vehicles that these kids are talking about these days? (laughs) She had no idea what a cryptocurrency was or blockchain or anything. And she's in finance. Like we're still in early adoption phase of this of this technology. Extremely early. Big money is just finally getting into it after this thing has been around for a decade and continued to grow for an, an entire decade. Imagine what happens when it's a household name, say another 10 years, and twice the amount of people that know it now know about it and have been involved in it. And it's gotten easier and safer and more user-friendly. The, the has, technology is not going to get any harder or anything from here on out. What was that? You're right. It has no borders, you know. And whoever owns it owns the power for it in the future in the sense of um, whatever it holds for it. Um, it. It has no borders. So in that sense, um, in the future, let's say you want to create a loaning system and you have 10,000 Bitcoin and it's worth you know, whatever exponential amount, you can actually go create your own banking system and loan it, ledging, uh, hedging it off of, uh, or, you know, you leveraging it off of that, which people are doing in a, in a smaller sense right now. And it is interesting, you know, just talking about finance, not to get off this exact topic, but, but um, what, what I heard recently is that Walmart is going to start doing banking. So pretty soon, let's say you go into Walmart for your, your mortgages. So I think banking in itself is going to become out dated and phased and it already is in a sense of the covid we sort of saw a a, a very limited use and and necessity as well right um we we now just sort of don't need it if you think about it in a lot of ways um it is cumbersome anyways well that's in essence that's what bitcoin wallets are right it creates the freedom for everybody that be their own bank and cut out the middleman and just work directly with one another borderless. Yeah. <clears throat> and I see the future of lending being micro lending where like, let's say you want to buy a house. Well, a thousand people get together and they're investing in your loan for the house. So they're only, they're putting up an, a manageable amount with a with some kind of gain in sight, but there's a risk involved. 
And so you'll see the again, we don't need banks at all. I mean, look at what you've seen happen in crowds, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding, right? Some of the greatest things coming out into the world are being funded by people, not banks, right? So the future of lending will be micro lending, where I can basically take some of my funds and say, okay, I want to invest this. And I'm going to split it up into, let's say, 20 different loans. And so I'm, I, I, there is risk because whenever you're investing, there's risk. But the return on that will, I'll be able to make money on, you know, because I was willing to put up the money and I'm not taking all the risk. So rather than me putting up, you know, 500,000 to an individual for their house, I'm putting up a thousand of that. And I'm going to get, and, and if I do that with 50 different people, my risk is actually dramatically reduced. And so I, I have a much better chance of making back my return on investment by just being a part of this micro lending network where you can take any amount of money and split it up around any number of loans, and then you'll earn the, uh, the return on that. And just like in, uh, with other bundled securities, you could actually sell your interest in it at some point. If you've built up a portfolio where you've put out 50 grand in microloans and there's 100,000 loans, well, that's not reasonable. Let's say 10,000 loans, right? So you put $5 on each, right? The, but they're all maturing near about the same time. You could actually bundle that as a security and sell it for the future value at a reduction of the future value. So if the interest is going to bring me, let's say, 60,000 in six years, let's say I was funding car loans, so I'm going to get, I'm going to earn 10, I, I, the, the investment is 10,000 in return in six years. <clears throat> I could sell that to, to another investor, my entire bundle for 5,000, for 8,000, right? And so this will be the future of, of lending and banking will be on the individual basis because we'll all be a bank because as, as, a, as a wallet holder, for a cryptocurrency, we're all bankers. And so we can get involved in these securities networks where we're funding our fellow people, no banks involved. Hmm. That's kind of how I see it. It's like a that, Go ahead. I say, so wouldn't that be a good thing in, in in how Tesla made a move into investing about what one quarter of their um, network, uh, not network, but ca working capital. So if other companies did that, technically speaking, anybody holding Bitcoin will automatically be part of that portfolio ownership. Well, that's speaking in different terms than I was just speaking in. I was talking about we're all already on Bitcoin and somebody needs to buy a house. Well, we create these networks where we can we, where we can invest in a multitude of loans and get a return on that with very little risk because we're not just investing in like if 
10% of the loans go bad, right? I'm still going to make nine grand as opposed to 10 grand. You know what I mean? Like that's still a significant return. Whereas if I put all my money into one loan and it goes bad, I could, I could lose money. <laughs> I might not lose all my money, but I could lose a significant amount of my money. As I'm having this conversation, I, I see a, a, a future coming back to me where, you know, what if other companies did what Elon Musk's company did, Tesla did, and, and as this portfolio shifts um, and their, you know, productivity goes down or their, um, well, their, their net worth goes down, so does their, you know, Bitcoin value or their total value of their total working capital, right? So that'll be putting, uh, basically destroying us as owners of Bitcoin or the cryptocurrency. But but it, as we all know, that'll just be a shift for an opportunity again, another market to, to capitalize on for us as people that would be early marketer investors currently, which would make this go up 10 you know, 100 whatever folds. If we are starting to talk in with Satoshi, then one Bitcoin you could start saying is a trillionaire, right? So let's say one, one coin is $1 trillion, then how many 100 million Satoshi? So then we start talking in real numbers of, hey, how many Satoshis is this car going to cost us um, in that sense? But, but I just see as I was talking that, well, I could see where Davos and how maybe if they do utilize this as a you know Trojan horse for them to destroy the current economical system into making it uh, uh, bailout you know, utilize that as a bailout when, when they do go down. Just a little bit of fun math there. If one Bitcoin is worth $1 million, then one Satoshi equals $1. What's, what's a Satoshi, guys? I don't, I don't know what this word is. First time I heard it tonight. It's, it's basically like one, to one millionth, one one millionth of a Bitcoin. Yeah, it's it's like a dollar oh, okay. has changed. It's, so like it's a one, measurement. It's a measurement of Bitcoin. Exactly. Right. Okay. It's that like what sense. a penny is to a dollar, but it's a million instead of a hundred. Based from, or the, the the name is actually the founder, or the you know, it's kept it's, it's up to interpretation, or people you know say allegedly. that it's allegedly. There you go. It's Satoshi Nakamoto is uh, allegedly the, the writer of this white paper on it. You know, I've been, I've been alone. I'd like to get your guys' input. Do you, what happened, what happened to, um, in the days when the Fed would increase interest rates by a high amount, why aren't they doing such a thing anymore? Like, I mean, if we're going to have mass inflation, let's say at the end of this year or next year, why wouldn't they just raise the interest rates to 20% or more? They're trying, they want to crash the system. They want their reset. So their reset's going to be their own particular cryptocurrency? Well, it won't be a cryptocurrency. (laughs) Well, it'll be, it'll it'll be be an illusionary cryptocurrency. Yeah. Or it'll, it'll be an be, electronic uh, currency, per se. Yeah. It'll, it'll be what they have now. Which, is, is, which is misleading because 
you know, 99% of the dollars that are in existence are already digital. So it's going to be the right. same thing that we have now, but it's going to be under a different, I guess, brand. Right. Except the, there'll be no cash. Try to use it as an excuse to steal. Right. I, I'd like to see them justify that. So like, wait a minute, you're not even printing money anymore. <laughs> Why are we paying you? <laughs> Dude, I've, I've actually seen a ton. In fact, more than half of the businesses that I frequent here in town, they all went cashless. They didn't accept cash last year. And I was like, you guys know this is illegal, right? They're like, I don't care. Take it up with the CDC. <laughs> Everywhere by me that was that said, oh, we're only doing credit card. We're not taking any cash. They're all taking cash again. That's good. Because that was a temporary thing. I'm like, technically, yeah, you refuse my legal tender. Uh, the debt is settled. All debt, private and public. Yeah, that didn't last too long. <laughs> it's it's still happening here where I'm at in Texas. Mm. Probably not as many, but. You know, it, it's a lot easier to accept, you know, cards only because you don't have to deal with cash and change and runs to the bank and, and all that stuff. It's absolutely incentivized. I wanted to throw in there that I, I saw this weird article uh, about the NBA tops shot. It's a, it's basically um, trading in crypto, but I'm still uncertain on how it works. Uh, but somehow the card card system, or I'm sorry, the, the collector editions and collector pla uh, business model is changing over to like crypto contracts, and it's weird. But basically, from what I think, the the simplest way I've heard it, which is uh, could be completely wrong, but basically you're buying like shares of a of a they call it like a clip, or you're buying you know ownership of it, but it's it's still un, under un, understood to me, but it's ownership and oh it's, yeah, you're talking about that the thing that they got. It's like tokens and art and shit. They're doing this in different 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 uh, you know businesses ownership, and basically it's kind of like uh, if it's like sort of like. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's sort of like the stock market where you're buying shares. Oh, yeah. That's that's not really new. In fact, the guy who originally invented that, and this was years ago, the guy who first started doing the um, digital shares, basically blockchain-based stock exchange, um, he's created a system called EOS. So those of you who have bought into the Ethereum is is great and Ethereum is the future, um, no, it's not. It's centralized, <clears throat> controlled. But EOS, which was created by the same guy who created the uh, – actually, he might even have worked at Ethereum at one time too. Um, but he created the, the first uh, company ownership, basically holding ha – having stake in companies through your percentage of ownership through a blockchain system. He's created basically the – open source true cryptocurrency version of what ethereum hopes to be and probably will never be um but it's you know digital contracts 
Um, in fact, in his system, you can even run apps through the blockchain, like on the blockchain itself. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's definitely got a lot of potential for the future because it's not just the currency itself, but the contracts that drive a currency as well. Integrated in the blockchain. That's where smart contracts came from, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. They I mean, actually there's been started many iterations. Of it. Yeah, it's, there's been many iterations of it. There, this is just was, the best and latest and greatest. There was one coin, I forget the name of it, but I liked it a lot because it was the first one to introduce smart contracts. But it just never made it. <laughs> Greg, uh, I don't know if this is the same coin. But uh, somebody was telling me, oh, man, I just invested in Dogecoin. Dogecoin. And I was like, Dogecoin? Doggycoin? Doggycoin. <laughs> no, that has no contracts. It's completely worthless. <laughs> yeah, I would, as far as alternate coins, I would look at Filecoin because it's going to be a decentralized file storage system. Looks pretty awesome. Um, Gollum, which is a distributed processing system. So you can actually lend your processing power to people and earn off of their blockchain system through others seeking processing power. So again, it's about these innovative technologies. Just because something's a cryptocurrency or just because it's on a blockchain doesn't make it worthy, you know. I, you got to look at like what technology is offered there. So EOS to me, that's valuable. Filecoin, that's valuable. Gollum, that's valuable. Monera, that's valuable. And of course, Bitcoin. All the rest I should consider shit. Wait, I thought Monero, you said X Monero centrally controlled though too. So you got to be careful with that one. Yeah, didn't you say XMR was not a good coin to get into? Oh, I meant XRP, the Ripple. Oh, okay. So what, what's the thoughts on Monero? Because like Greg said, centralized, but it's also a privacy coin. It, it's secure and private, but it, they control it, man. They go in there and they mess around with the code. So that's no, good, no bueno. <laughs> it's not open source? No. In fact, Wait a minute, I was actually, it? I got I got took on a fucking scam that the Chinese did on there because they actually came up with ASIC miners for that thing. Um, and then by the time I bought them, they had already rewritten the code to make them worthless and not be able to do anything. So, wait a minute, but they that's the again I may be wrong, but didn't that evolve from Dark Coin? Isn't Monero just a rehashing no, Monero is actually one of a kind. It has its own algorithm and like type. Um, it says it's open source, but here on GitHub. Yeah, yeah, but they 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 changed. They didn't. They like the devs. Um, will rewrite that code if they see stuff that happens that they don't like. Well, that's the that's the nature of open source source software, Greg. <laughs> that's that's kind of how it works. 
Well, not necessarily. Like, I mean, the uh, block, pretty I much. mean, Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin is uh, is out there, and no yeah, but Bitcoin has been rewritten it. Yeah, it has. Where do you think Bitcash came from? They've changed it. Yeah, but it's not. It didn't change the original. It created a new one. Yeah, that was a copy paste. Right, now, but like if you look it, at there's a you whole at, different again, new new Bitcoin, fucking thing made from it. So. Right, Bitcoin Core, all that, those things have all evolved because but it's Bitcoin an open source is, system. Right, but Bitcoin itself hasn't, you know what I mean? It's still exactly the same as when it was introduced. You're talking so you're saying Monero, they've actually changed the foundational algorithms and it, it's actually changed the character of the currency itself. Correct. Like what? Give me an example of what changed. Well, it was I'm just the mining, right? Like so. <laughs> so Monero, you were able to like when it came out, it was CPU based, and then you know obviously right. GPU based, right? You is how you'd mine it, right? As soon as ASIC miners came out for it, they rewrote the code to where ASIC miners were worthless. So you bought all these ASIC miners and then you're basically stuck with doorstops because the devs went in there, rewrote the, the code and said, we don't want ASIC miners on our network. Right. Okay. But again, that's the nature of open source software. There may be an issue that they saw that would have arisen having ASIC miners on the network. So again, if that's all you got, <laughs> that's all I got. It's all I got. That, it, that doesn't it, make it centralized. It got it's me. open source. It's still it decentralized. Me. I get it. You have a personal experience and you lost <laughs> on that personal experience. So I understand your frustration, but it's still decentralized. It's still a cryptocurrency the nature of open source systems is that the software can and will change over time. And if Bitcoin, if they found an issue with that foundational code, they would change it. I also find it interesting that it does cost money, you know, electronically, electricity, sorry, to process or, or uh, validate each transaction. So in essence of energy or the law of uh, production, you are actually utilizing something to get something else out. So each transaction is adding to that pool of energy that it's utilizing. So that increases its overall value to never reach that threshold of you know bottom again, if that makes sense. What is Nasera Jasera? What is that again? I don't remember. It's it's basically it it's it's based on an act. Nasera was an act uh, that was proposed uh, years ago, but it's basically the repinning of uh, the currency to gold and silver. Well, I think I do remember. To, like, it's basically moving out of fiat. But like I said, I don't think it's a valid solution. Because it's it's somebody still controls the currency, controls the printing of the currency. I think the only viable option is a decentralized currency. I mean, if we want to, you know, take back control of our society and uh, 
not have the banking elite running the world, Nasser and Jasser wouldn't prevent that. How do you spell Nasser and Jasser? Um, I want to say N E S. Hold on. Let me look it up real quick. A R A. N E S A R A. And then G E S A R A. I forget its acronyms for something. Yeah, it was well then. It, I, I don't know about just Sarah, but Nasera was like the National Economic, Economic Security and Recovery Act. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And Jasera is the global. Yeah, Global Economic Security and Recovery Act. Yeah. I do remember hearing about this. This is not a new thing, right? No, it's not. I want to say it was in the 80s, right, when it was first proposed? I know I looked it up, and um, I think it Yeah, the 90s. The yeah, I think it passed the House and not the Senate or something like that. There's a bill on it. What the? I can buy the book at walmart.com for $55. <laughs> Interesting. They have a Probably website. Is it congress.gov? Well, yeah, and what do you mean by they? Because there, there's, again, it was just an act. <laughs> That's all it was um, that never went through. Um, now there's a whole cult-like following around it, that it's going to be this, you know, what saves the world. And, I, again, I just don't see it that way. I don't, I don't see it as a viable option. And what differs from what, we used to have is that we used to have it um, uh, pinned to silver, then it was pinned to gold. Uh, they're basically, uh, the suggestion is a bimetallic pinning, which again is a bad idea because of the undervaluation of silver. If you pin it to a set amount of silver and a set amount of gold, um, it, it, it could still create a lot of problems as well as hoarding of the metals themselves, which China has been doing for freaking decades, you know, buying up as much silver as they can. And they already have huge gold supplies. So it's, it's again, I don't see it as a, a viable option for the future of our currency. I got, I got one more question. You know, Brandon, when I first, you know, connected with you guys, I set everything up in Dropbox. Are you guys using anything different today that's more, you know, private for holding um, your files? It, uh, I, I was just telling you about Filecoin. File um, I, I mean, I don't, when I want to keep files private, I don't keep them in the cloud. <laughs> and if I do, I encrypt them myself and then put them there. Um, and then that way I know that they're, they're safe and secure. If you want safety and security, learn PGP encryption. And then you can encrypt your files and then uh, put them wherever you want and they'll be safe and secure. 
Um, but I think they're uh, a great, the, the future of uh, cloud storage will be something like Filecoin, a blockchain-based uh, file storage system. How does that work when files can be so huge? Is, it, is there compression involved or how does it work? Well, not necessarily, but I'm sure there would be like a seven zip kind of. Now, some files can't be compressed, but um, and because they're already by the nature of the file itself, it's already compressed. Um, but I'm sure that there would be a compression protocol. But from my understanding, your key is based just like how you would need your key and passphrase to spend Bitcoin. You would need your key and passphrase, which actually encrypt and decrypt your files. So your files on the blockchain, but nobody can actually access your files. They're automatically encrypted. Again, it's a decentralized distributed system. Um, and uh, right now the rate is way far less than Google Drive or any of the other cloud storage systems out there. Did, did you say and PNG you can, encryption? Uh, how, PGP, PGP. PGP, okay. It's actually pretty easy to figure out on, on Mac and on Windows, right? Yeah, just get a key client, generate your keys with a strong passphrase. I recommend over 20, letters numbers and characters uppercase lowercase all that this this and, is different than what we learned in mastery no i taught you guys about pgp okay yeah so we did it okay i remember doing yeah. it okay i just yeah. haven't done it since i didn't understand the, the reason for it in the past other than uh, communication but actually storing my data yeah. makes perfect can, sense well, well it's not it's i mean the pgp is just the encryption tool Sure, um, sure. But then you could but, store it anywhere and no one's going to be able to open it. It's not going to matter. Exactly, exactly. But you were saying there's another storage site that you are, are, are a blockchain storage? Yeah, that's Filecoin. What I was oh, Filecoin. Okay, yeah. You just, I, it didn't register at first. Okay. That's a wrap. I would like to thank everyone for participating in this call. I look forward to talking to you again next week, next Sunday. Good night.